Welcome to Orange Crest Community Church and OCCathome.com. We are so glad you're here. At OCC, our mission is to invite people to take their next steps with Jesus. And so we pray that through our time together, you're encouraged and challenged to move forward in your relationship with Jesus Christ. Thank you so much for listening. Hey, everyone. It's good to see all of you here. How are the churros? Were they good? Kids, were they yummy? Yes. Well, my name is Josh Delarosa. It's good to see everyone here. For those of you that are on the live stream right now, or even if we have any in their cars right now, it's good to just be here together again. And what we're doing right now is we're working our way through a series of messages called Church Now. And through the end of this year, we're going to be working our way through the first 12 chapters of the book of Acts in chronological order. It basically highlights the Christian church and the development of Christianity from the first century, but it moves in chronological order. And we've been drawing on the theme of Acts that really is summed up here in Acts 1.8. And so this banner behind me is a very, very important verse. And so kids and parents... This is the key idea, it's up here on the screen as well, that we want you to really understand and take away from this series, because this is, for, for those of you who've decided to follow Christ, this is our assignment. And so let's take a look at the theme of Acts, and then we're going to pray. Let's read it together, Acts 1.8. If you want to read it with me, let's read it together. It reads, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Hey, let's pray together. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for an opportunity to, to gather together, to meet some, uh, some new people, to see some old friends, uh, to sing some songs of praise and of worship of you, our great God, our great King. Lord, we thank you for... Uh, clearing out our, our evening for us to focus on you, to turn our hearts and our attention to you. I pray that you would uh, give us a, a, a time tonight to just uh, set our minds to focus on you. Uh, help us to understand your word. We pray that your Holy Spirit would teach us through your word tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. So this verse right here, and we've been talking about, it, it really, it's sort of built on like a a ripple effect idea that there would be an impact of the message of Christianity that we would be Christ's witnesses in in some different regions. So first in Jerusalem. Now we don't live in Israel and we're not near Jerusalem, but to the people that first heard this in the first century, that was the town that they were in. And so Jesus said, "You will receive power. You will be my witnesses when the Holy Spirit comes on you in Jerusalem." So there to be witnesses in the in the area where they were. For us. It's right here. Our Jerusalem is right here. It's, it's our hometown. Literally, it's our, it's our neighbors. It's our friends. It's people that are right around us. We're called to be witnesses, to tell the good news of Jesus and the impact and the difference that he's made. We're to share that with those around us. But then the verse goes on. It says, in Judea, which Judea would be like our region. So, we're in the Inland Empire, so we're to be witnesses, not just in the 
town that we live in or the neighborhood, but even in the region. We're to have an impact beyond just this town. It's, it's here and in the region, the Inland Empire. And then it goes on and says, in Samaria, that was the neighboring region to the north of Judea. And that would be for us sort of like other counties. And so we're, we're right, right here, Riverside County, to the west is Los Angeles County. And super exciting news for us as a church, along these lines of being a witness in Samaria, is today our church had a baby. <laughs> How you doing? You had a baby today. <laughs> Woo! Some of you are like, we did? What? <laughs> we had a baby. We had a daughter. A daughter church. And our church is, the daughter church is called Valley Lights Church. It's in Santa Clarita, which is northern Los Angeles County. And this morning, Valley Lights Church had their first preview service. It was such a joy to be out there with some of our folks from here to help, that helped them and encouraged them this morning. Uh, they gathered in a park. It was a good amount of people came. It was more than they prayed for. And so it's exciting to see plans come together. God is good. He brought people who responded to the door hangers and the invites and the advertising. And even right now at 6.30, they're actually doing an online service, a digital service right now. So they've, they've launched with two services. One is live in person in the morning and then an evening service at 6.30. And so it's exciting to see that God is allowing us to be his witnesses in not just Jerusalem and Judea, but Samaria, the neighboring region. And so I think this should really encourage your heart as we think about how our church is trying to live out this assignment that Jesus has given us. And in just two weeks, our church is going to commission the Valley Lights Church launch team more formally, since we didn't have a chance to do that because of COVID and shutdowns and everything. And so now, in two weeks from now, two Sundays from now, we're going to commission the team They'll be here on our stage. We're going to show some videos uh, highlighting their previous service. We'll show some pictures of what God has been doing. You'll be able to hear from some of the team members. And also we're planning to ordain their pastor, Bruce Wood. And so we want to invite you to come out to our normal Sunday evening service in two weeks. There's going to be a special celebration before we'll have a free taco dinner available. There's going to be like a taco truck, I believe, at 530. So come out early. Last week we looked at chapter 2, which... That highlighted the baptism of the Holy Spirit on the church, where God kept his promise up here, and he gave the Holy Spirit to the church to empower his people. Now, without power, the assignment that Jesus gave us to be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth would be like this. If we don't have power, it would be like a kid under a bar that he's unable to really get up over his head. Without power from on high, we're just not able to pull off this type of an assignment because it's just too great for us to do on our own. But with the Holy Spirit, God gives what we lack, and he actually does the heavy lifting. Look at that guy. <laughs> this is an example of... You know, there's just some things we can't do in life on our own. We just don't have the power. But when God steps in, he does some things through us 
that we could never do. And God actually drives his message deep into hearts. He does the heavy lifting. We see this month after month here, year after year here. We've seen God do the heavy lifting and change hearts as we're his witnesses. God begins to change people. God's spirit can actually crack open even the hardest of hearts. He can convince the skeptic that he's real. He can reach the far off. In fact, that might be you tonight. You might be here and you're thinking, there's no way that, that, that God could reach me. I'm too far off or I'm too far gone or I've done too much wrong. You know, God can crack open all of our hearts. He can draw our hearts. And that's what happened on the day of Pentecost last week when we gathered. We looked at this passage of scripture where God sent his Holy Spirit and these little tongues like fire appeared over all of the people who were gathered in this upper room. There's about 120 of them. And these tongues of fire came in and this was the Holy Spirit basically immersing the church in power. And a huge crowd nearby was attracted to the commotion. They could hear something was going on. And they began hearing these different foreign languages that God had empowered his people to be able to speak. And he was speaking his message through the apostles to the, to the onlookers and those that were listening. And, and Jews from all over the place came back to Jerusalem at this, on this day for a, a festival. It was like a holiday called Pentecost. And so here's a, here's a map of all the different places where people came from. All these foreign lands on the day of Pentecost. All these Jews whose heritage was right there in Israel. But through years of conquest and exile had scattered around the world. Annually people would come back to Jerusalem to celebrate an important feast. And so all these people came to the city. They heard the apostles speaking. And they started asking questions. And Peter, one of God's leaders, one of the followers of Jesus, got up and began preaching to the crowd this powerful message. And he was empowered by God's spirit. And God pierced the hearts of all sorts of people in the crowd. And they said, what do we need to do to be saved? And he preached the message of hope that is found only in Jesus. And it says that 3,000 people decided to follow Christ that day. And the church grew. It was born that day. It was empowered. It grew. And it was marked by devotion they, were, they learned to obey God. They, they had fellowship. They cared deeply for one another. They were willing to sacrifice. They broke breads and, bread in their homes. They gathered for meals. They shared in what's called the Lord's Supper, which is a memorial service that we actually practiced last week. And we remember the sacrifice that Jesus made. They, they were marked by prayer. And so that was chapter 2. And as we transition into chapter 3, we're going to read about a miracle. Kids... Who knows what a miracle is? What's a miracle? Anybody shout it out. It's a healing the sick. Yeah, it's, it's something not expected. That's right. With miracles, sometimes we get a little uncomfortable, don't we? When we read about the miracles, we can get a little uncomfortable. We can get a little skeptical. And miracles, they don't happen every day. That's why they're not called usuals. They're called miracles. And so it is a surprise. (laughs) But in Jesus' ministry, miracles were very frequent. 
And I know for us, some of us, we have preconceived ideas about miracles. We might think that can't happen today or, or maybe we think we don't need miracles because we have medicine. So we're naturally just inclined to hold stories about miracles suspect. But that's what happens in Acts chapter 3, as you're going to see, through the apostles named Peter and John. So let's look at Acts chapter 3, verse 1. Here's what it reads. It says, One day Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at 3 in the afternoon. Now a man crippled from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. Now this man, he had to beg for survival. Every day he was carried and he was placed in front of the temple gate. This beautiful gate, it was, it was called the beautiful gate. It was an ornate gate. There was different gates to enter the temple. And this, this is a beautiful gate with silver and gold lining. And this would have been a strategic place, it would seem, that people going to worship certainly would be inclined to give to a person who was begging. And so this... This man who'd been crippled was placed there. He's begging to anybody or to everybody that's walking through this gate. So verse 3, when he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Now Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So he locks eyes and he says, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. And then Peter said, silver or gold, I do not have. But what I have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Then it says, taking him by the right hand, Peter, he helped him up. And instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. It's a miracle. Verse 8 says that he jumped to his feet and he began to walk. And then he went with them, with the apostles, into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. Now, I want you to stop there for a moment because this is important. This is a miracle. This guy had not been able to walk ever. And he's healed in this moment. And it says, he is jumping up and down and he's praising God. And then in verse 9, when all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And, And they, the crowd, was filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. What an amazing experience. And in verse 6, we again see God doing the heavy lifting through these human agents known as the apostles. God, the God of the universe, is working through people like Peter and John. God's doing the heavy lifting, working through them. And amazing things are happening. And you see this phrase that Peter used in verse 6. He looks at the man, he says, hey, look at us. He looks him in the eyes and then he says this, in the name of of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. And as you study the Bible, you start seeing the significance of this phrase, the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. You start seeing this phrase pop out and the reality 
of the power that is found in the name of Jesus Christ. And as a kid, I actually remember singing a song in church as a little kid about the wonder-working power in the name. There's power. There's wonder-working power in the name of Jesus. You know, there is actually power in the, in the name of Jesus to save people, to heal people, to deliver people, to change people completely. In fact, you'll see that the local authorities next week, you're, we're going to look at Acts chapter 4, and you're going to see that the local authorities were trying to silence and snuff out the apostles from preaching about the name of Jesus. They said, you can no longer preach in that name. And if you do, and they, they give a threat and they warn them. Because there's so much power attached to the name of Jesus. All sorts of miracles are happening when people invoke the power of the name of Jesus Christ. And Jesus actually taught the disciples to pray and ask in the name. Take a look at John 16 in Jesus' ministry. He's teaching the disciples. And at one point he says, until now you've not asked for anything in my name. Ask and you will receive and your joy will be complete. We often insert this at the end of, of our prayers. Have you prayed this before where you pray or you've heard someone praying and at the end of the prayer you say, in the name of Jesus we pray, amen. Or in the name of Jesus Christ, amen. That's, Jesus is inviting us to pray in his name. Why? Well, Jesus is saying, hey, I want you to tap into my authority. I want you to tap into my power that is found in my name. You see, without God's power, we don't, we can't pull off this assignment. We can't pull off the Christian life. We can't do what God has asked us to do in our own flesh, in our own, in our own strength. We need a power outside of ourselves. And so Jesus is saying, hey, tap into my power. In the book of Philippians, we see a summary of Jesus. We see Paul writing about Jesus. And he says that, that Jesus is God who stepped down from heaven to earth in humble fashion, like a man. Because he, he came, God became flesh as a man. And he, he was a servant to many. And he humbled himself while he was on earth. To the lowest point, even to the point of death, we're told in the book of Philippians, that Jesus humbled himself to the lowest point, to the point of death, on a cross. But then look at what Philippians 2, verses 9 through 11 say of Jesus, about Jesus. Here's what happened. God exalted him, the one who was taken to the lowest place and died on a cross. God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. There's something about the name of Jesus that we need to understand. It has all power, all authority. In the fifth grade, I had a friend named Dean. It seemed like he was twice my size. And one time, another boy named Josh, he threatened me, and he took something of mine. And I said, give it back. And he said, what are you going to do? 
And I said, I'm not going to do it. Dean's going to do it. And I got it back. Because there was something about Dean <laughs> that I didn't have. And I, I called upon Dean, and I just spoke his name, and Josh gave me what was mine. You see, Jesus' name is all-powerful. God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Think about that for a moment. Every knee would bow on earth, under the earth. All demonic forces, all angelic beings would bow at the name of Jesus. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God, our Father. Some of us can actually say that with our own eyes, we've seen God break chains in people's lives. We've seen God bring people out of deep bondage. We've seen people be rescued from darkness because of Jesus' name and his power and his authority. And in some cases, lifelong struggles have been broken as we pray for people in the name of Jesus Christ. Miracles like we read in Acts 3 or just dramatic changes in our life, life change events. That we see even today. People that we meet whose lives have been transformed by Jesus. Those kinds of things that God does are intended to advance the church of Jesus. And intended to build God's kingdom on and on and on. God wants to have this ripple effect impact. It's more than just what we see in Acts 3. It's more than just a personal miracle for this man who's healed in that moment. The purpose of this healing goes far beyond this guy's life. And in fact, I don't know where you were when you decided to follow Christ, if you've already decided to do that, when, when he breathed life into your dead heart. And you decided to respond and begin new life in Christ. I don't know where you were, but as your life has changed God's intention for your life change isn't just your own personal life or your own personal miracle. He intends to use your life to advance his kingdom. Which is why in this passage, all the onlookers were totally amazed. Look at verse 9 again. It says, when all the people saw this man walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple called Beautiful. The temple gate called beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened. You see, what happened is they knew this man's story. And now they could not deny that he'd been healed by Jesus. And the reality is people know your story. They know your past. They know your history. And if God has changed your life, or if he were to change your life, it could alter the course of so many other people. Look at verse 11. While the beggar held on to Peter and John... He's so excited. They're holding, he's holding on to Peter and John. It says, all the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. This place within the temple. In verse 12 it says, when Peter saw this, meaning he saw a crowd of people wanting to basically get close to Peter and John and the apostles because basically others want to see another miracle or they can't believe what just happened. 
through Peter. They can't believe it. It says, when Peter saw this, he said to the crowd, he said to them, Men of Israel, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we had made this man walk? He deflects the attention away from himself. He's just, he's saying, look, I'm just a man. And he gives the praise and the credit to God. Look at verse 13. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. You handed him over to be killed. You disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. You disowned the holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer be released to you. Peter's just railing on these these Jews who rejected Christ, who rejected Jesus as their Messiah. And he said, you killed the author of life. But you know what? God raised him from the dead. And Peter says, we are witnesses of this. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see, this man who was healed and know was made strong, it is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him. You see, the faith that Peter's talking about is both the faith that Peter demonstrated to, to say, rise up and walk in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, as much as the faith of the man who basically said, in his heart, and then even he just decided to put energy into his legs that have never worked before, and he, in faith, trusted God, and God miraculously healed this man. It is in the name of Jesus and the faith that comes through him that has given this complete healing to him, as you can all see. And in verse 17, I want you to look at this. It says, Now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your leaders. He's referring to the fact that they, these Jews, he's speaking to a Jewish audience, and he's saying, look, you rejected the Messiah. You didn't know it. You were ignorant of it, just like your forefathers, the leaders that had come before you, had done the same thing. Verse 18 says, but this is how God fulfilled what he had foretold through all the prophets, saying that his Christ would suffer. And then he says this, a very simple message for them, very similar to Peter's message last week in Acts chapter 2, is this. Repent. Repent then and turn to God. Meaning, turn away from your own life, your old way of doing life, being in control. Repent and turn to God. Turn around and turn towards God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. He's saying to the crowd, don't miss this opportunity as your ancestors did. They got into impatience, they got into grumbling, they got too obsessed and too focused on the things of this world that they missed the way. And he's saying to them, look, don't miss Jesus, don't miss this opportunity to have your life changed. Hey kids, I want to encourage you, I know you're young, you're a lot younger than me, but I want to encourage you to follow Jesus at a young age. I want to encourage you to ask Jesus to be the boss of your life. To say, Jesus, I want you to be number one in my life. I want to live for you. And kids, I want to encourage you, talk to your parents about how do I become a Christ follower? How do I follow Jesus and make him the boss of my life? Talk to your kids' own teachers. Talk to your parents. And we would love to help you connect with Jesus Christ from early on. Teens. Teens. Hey. Talk to you different than I talk to the kids. Teens, hey, with all the pressure that you find yourself under, 
You know, schoolwork can be really demanding. Chores just keep growing. The fear of missing out or the fear of standing out is really, really strong. The pressure is on right now. And our early beliefs, the beliefs that we claim and choices we make regarding our beliefs in our childhood years, they really, really get tested in our teenage years. And teens, we don't want you to miss out on what God has for your life. We don't want you to miss it. Like Peter saying, hey, don't be ignorant. Don't reject this like others did. We don't want you to miss out on this right now because you have an opportunity. Choosing to follow Christ at your age will cause you to stand out. But it's worth it. If you're not involved in our in our student ministry it's called OSM, I want to encourage you to check it out. Come and talk to any of us under these tents, parents or teens. If you'd like to get connected to our student ministry, we would love to introduce you to some of our leaders. College age, 20s. In your 20s, you can dabble with all sorts of things or you can train. In your 20s, you have all sorts of new freedoms. And that freedom feels like tremendous power. It's a privilege. It's powerful. But in the words of Uncle Ben to Spider-Man, you know what I'm going to say, with great power comes great responsibility. Your 20s come with all sorts of privileges. But in a moment, all of those privileges can be used in ways that can bring a tidal wave of long-term consequences. And so... The choice is to dabble in your faith and push fun to the number one place in your life. Or instead of dabbling in your 20s, you can choose to train and to train in godliness. And I want to encourage you, I'm going to plead with you to train in godliness in your 20s. Learn from people ahead of you and serve faithfully right now in your 20s. You're building a foundation that you'll be able to stand on in the decades to come. And for everyone else out there, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, and up. Live for Christ. Put Him first. Put Him first above family. Put Him above money. Put Him above the love of money. The love of pleasure. Put Him, put him first above comfort. Above safety. Above yourself. Jesus has called you. To live a life of sacrifice. Look at Luke 14. Jesus said, anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Jesus calls us to live a life of self-sacrifice. Every day, we're to put to death our own old life. Our own old way. Our way of living and thinking where we rule and we're focused on our own success. Jesus calls us to, to put that old way to death and to live for him every day. It's a daily faith walk, and it's high-stakes living. And the world around you is breaking down, it's deteriorating, but if you live for him, the Bible says you're being renewed every single day. Look at Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. 
Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices. Will you do that? Holy and pleasing to God, this is your spiritual act of worship. Do not be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. I'd like to pray for for all of you. So would you bow, and I'm going to pray for each of you uh, by stage. So let's bow and pray together. Father, right now we, we pray for the kids that are here. And in the name of Jesus Christ, would you protect them? Would you lead them to a saving knowledge and relationship with you, the God of the universe who sent his son so that they might truly live? Would you help them to establish something with you that is real? And would you help them to navigate the pitfalls of life? We pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. And for the teens, Father, we pray in the name of Jesus that you would draw their hearts to you. Would you help them understand who you are? Would you convince them that you're real? Would you help them to know your truth and be able to detect the lies that seep through our culture? Would you give the teens experiences early on where they would see you come through? Would you protect them from the pressures and the temptations that call out to them? And would you provide for them a running pack of peers and leaders who who can partner with their families to help them grow right now in these teen years? We pray for our teens in the name of Jesus Christ. And for the college students and 20-somethings, God, in the name of Jesus Christ, would you establish their habits, their disciplines, would you provide some solid mentors? Would you bring a group around them to love them, to invest in them, to care for them deeply? Would you lead them to train right now in godliness and, and to use these years for learning and for humility, for opportunities of service and teachability and patience? Please, God, would you guard them from the evil one and use them to shine as lights amongst a dark, younger generation? We pray for them. In the name of Jesus Christ. And for all the adults that are here in their 30s and 40s and 50s and 60s and 70s and 80s and even beyond that. In the name of Jesus, would you protect us from the lies of the enemy and the discouragement that so often comes upon us. When we hear the lies of the enemy to give up or to give in or to get discouraged or to fear or to worry or to cross moral lines, to break our commitments, would you help us to reject those lies? Father, would you help us to celebrate the highs that come in life and then show us how to support and weep together with those who are at their lowest points? Father, we don't want to waste this life. Would you help us to not miss the opportunities? Father, help us to live our lives to the fullest in careful obedience to your word. Would you help us to live for what will last? We pray this. In the mighty name of Jesus Christ. And for all those who are here right now who would say that they just don't know you. They're not sure that you're real. God, would you give them the courage to call out to you even tonight. To ask for prayer. To get their questions answered. To set out on a pursuit to learn about you. And for all of these people, we pray together in the mighty name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. Thank you again for joining us today. We pray you were encouraged by the message and equipped to take your next step with Jesus. Visit us online at occathome.com to learn more about how to connect with us. And join us again next week for another Orange Crest Community Church podcast. Have a great day.